Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. When I finish, I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and we can join in together by saying, thanks be to God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Oh, you may be seated. Wow, man. All right. All right. Yeah, that's right. You regret it yet, Michael? Well, I got to say, I, I am a little bit more nervous coming up here this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, because um, I thought Michael was going to be on vacation, <laughs> but now that he's sitting here, I'm sure the notepad's going to come out here shortly. You guys are all sitting back, but I'm the one who can see his, his little glares there. Uh, but no, really, really, I, I am thankful to be up here with you guys today. Um, I, I'm excited to be able to share some of these insights of God's Word uh, with you this morning. Uh, but really, like Paul said, my, my prayer this morning is that like, I'm not going to misrepresent what this book says. And I pray that all the truth comes from the Bible this morning, not just from like, what I've experienced in this life. It really does need to come from God this morning, because hopefully by the end of it, we can see that the only true way to understand what this passage is talking about in the first five verses here in chapter five is to really understand uh, what the scripture is trying to tell us there and that theology. Uh, so that is really important this morning. Um, so like many other passages in the Bible, this is just a couple verses and we're gonna, really the meat of the passage that I wanna focus on is in verses three through five. And even though it's just a couple verses, it can go really deep right? <laughs> so, so hopefully we don't get lost too much in the weeds, but that we can really talk about this. And there's kind of two aspects this morning uh, that can be maybe a little bit hard to wrestle with. Well, at least one of them may be hard to wrestle with. And that's kind of discussed in the middle of the verses. And, and those two things are suffering and hope. Now, suffering, it may be a hard topic to really talk about, to really grasp what that kind of can be. But like, we've all experienced it, right? But everyone's experiences is so different. Like, your suffering is different than my suffering, different than his suffering, different than someone else on the other side of the world suffering. And this is where the proper training and understanding of this theology really comes in and helps us understand it this morning. Um, and, but without that, like, with a worldly view, I think we, most people in the world, come to the conclusion that Suffering is bad. I don't like it. You don't like it. Um, and so the natural conclusion is to say that, well, it must be bad then, right? 
But after this morning, I hope that this training and understanding, this, hopefully we can lay this good foundation of theology that uh, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe we can actually have an outlook on it, a biblical lens of it, a godly lens of it, that it's actually a good thing. Now, like I said, it's really deep. So this isn't going to answer all your questions, right? It's, we don't have enough time this morning or this year to answer all of those questions that come up about uh, difficult subjects such as a suffering like this. But the foundation we can lay this morning and hopefully understand should point you in the direction and set you on the right path to answer all those questions. Dang it, I knew it. He started writing something down. <laughs> okay, so, so suffering can be like the harder topic to cover, right, this morning. However, the, the other one, hope, that's, that's easy. Everyone hopes in something. We, we all think that is a good thing, right? That's easy. Like, oh man, I, I hope it, you know, it's good weather today. I hope, you know, whatever. Um, and, and that not, may not be the, the type of hope we're talking about in this passage. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but that one's not the hard part to uh, understand out of the two. But the real challenge is what's the bridge? How, how does something that we naturally perceive as a bad thing bridge to something that we naturally perceive as a good thing? And I, and I hope that's what we can uh, wrestle with together this morning and understanding that. Uh, so let's pray uh, for the word of the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this group of people. And I thank you so much for your truth that you are speaking to us through the scripture this morning. I pray that, that everything that comes out of my mouth this morning is beneficial to everyone here uh, in, in guiding uh, them in your will this morning, God. I thank you so much for what uh, you've had the word do in my life. And I pray uh, that what the word has done in all of, uh, all of our lives here this morning is good and everything that it will accomplish as well. Uh, be glorifying to you, God. Amen. Amen. All right, so you never take a Bible passage out of context. You always need to look at like where it's written, who wrote it, when they wrote it, that kind of stuff. So let's look at a little bit of build-up to chapter 5. And uh, spoiler alert, chapters 1 through 4 come before chapter 5. So let's look at chapters 1 through 4 a little bit here. And I'm going to summarize it really quickly because the first two verses here in chapter 5 is a short summary of chapters 1 through 4 up until this point. So, firstly, in chapters 1 through 4, we have God's wrath that's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, and because God has to dish out the consequences of all of that ungodliness and unrighteousness. He, he wouldn't be a just God if he didn't do that. Secondly, we know that God's judgment is righteous and correct. He's our creator. No one else can judge like he is because he's our creator. Uh, and so his judgment that comes uh, because of that ungodliness and unrighteousness is justly. It's kind of like a circle thing, but <laughs> it's just. <laughs> Thirdly, we know that we as humans, not, not one of us is righteous on our own. And so therefore, we all deserve that wrath that comes from God through our sin, Right? Now, if you're paying attention here and you've heard the phrase before, you may start to see that this is part of the Roman road, right? The Roman road that describes out salvation. Uh, that's kind of this thing we're starting to, to go uh, to walk down here in chapters 1 through 4. Okay, but then fourthly, so we have God's uh, righteous judgment. We have our unrighteousness. But then God has made a way, has manifested righteousness 
apart from the law that's discussed in the Old Testament, right? And that alternate path, that little detour, quote unquote, <laughs> around the law's way to righteousness is faith in Jesus Christ. And then, because we have faith in Jesus Christ, sin has no power over us, right? Amen. That's awesome. Amen. And sixthly, because we've received that knowledge, we've received that salvation, we then come into a better understanding of our relationship with God and his gift of grace, right? And that's what really starts to fill us up uh, and, and produces a wonderful thing in it. It starts to produce the fruits of the Spirit, right? And, and that's where God's promises get fulfilled through our faith. So that sounds all pretty awesome, right? So now as we come to chapter 5, in verses 1 through 2, uh, let me just reiterate that um, so that, oh, Katie's not up here. She's down in the class. <laughs> she, she made a comment this morning about how sometimes, like, as we're giving the sermon, we always reiterate what Jason just read for us. And then it's like, well, why did Jason even read it for us? <laughs> okay, anyways, uh, I, I, I know I need to hear it multiple times before I can really have it sink in. So chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So hopefully, what I've just summarized in those first six points from chapters 1 through 4 is also kind of summarized in verses 1 and 2 here. And so what Paul's, like, why does Paul reiterate it? He's, he's trying to set the playing field right now. He's saying, like, hey, thus far, through chapters 1 and 4, 1 through 4, We've come to this point, and let's make sure everyone's on the same page here. So I'm going to kind of do the same thing here as we go through verses 1 and 2 and make sure that we are here on the same page. Uh, because usually when something's repeated in the Bible, it's for a good reason. We need to understand it. So, the first part. Justified by faith. That is not justified by works. That's not justified by doing good things. That's not justified by obeying the law. That's not justified by finding the golden ticket and a chocolate bar. Okay? It's by faith through Jesus Christ. And, and Paul's reference back in chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, uh, says this, But now righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. So again, it's not by works. And Paul even reiterates a specific point in verse 28, later in chapter 3, where he says, For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So it specifically calls that out because that was a big stumbling block for the Pharisees uh, in, the, in that in that day and age. Okay, so that's justified by faith. The second half of that verse, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that peace really look like? This is the kind of peace that comes from the true understanding of how God's grace in your life changes your life. Like, we were dead to our sins, and God said, just just believe in my son Jesus, and your faith will justify you into my grace. That's the power of the gospel right there. That's what leads us to salvation. So don't miss that. As the, as the song says, we were lost, 
and now we are found. So that's the good news, right, this morning. Amen. We can all go home. <laughs> okay, but there's a verse 2. So the em- emphasis here, then, in verse 2, is where that justification by faith gets you. Where does that lead to, right? And it says here that through him we have also obtained access by that faith into this grace in which we stand. So we, we can stand in God's grace. I think that's really cool. Um, that, that, that also is part of the great news, right? So kind of this phrase then is justification by, by faith into his grace. Uh, and I think that's really amazing. So when we're, when we're able to stand in his grace then, like I said before, this is now allows us to witness his glory, right? As we start to build that relationship with God, we start to see more and more of his glory, and, and that's what allows us to be a witness to that. So again, the big picture here, the summaries in verse 1 and 2 um, are, are kind of like this. We have sin overpowering us, then we have faith in Jesus, then we are justified by that faith, and that allows us to stand in God's grace, and then we can see the glory of God coming in full. And then the last part of that verse is that we can rejoice in that, in the hope of that glory. And that makes us oh so happy, right? That's really great. That's what, that's what allows us to have this kind of joy that anybody else outside the church just really can't understand, right? Now, that seems pretty simple, right? We just outlined the whole build your Christian life, become a, become a good Christian, have a good relationship with God, go to heaven kind of life. And it seems like that can be great. You know, hey, sign me up. I'll, I'll do that. Um, however, there's always a but. <laughs> As now we go into verses 3 through 5, Paul starts to talk about how, hey, this is, so yeah, we've got the Salvation 101 class here, but there's more to it. There's a deeper part to how this process actually works. Uh, and if you were to actually do it fully, uh, there's thing. But remember, as we go through this, it's relating justification by faith to resulting in we are able to stand in his glory and hope in that and rejoice in that. And that's why we need to really understand this theology so that we have the mindset to look at the things that happen in our life in a godly, biblical way instead of what the world would have us just by default say about the, the suffering. And, and that's what sets us apart from the world, right? Everyone else outside the world would see this a little bit differently, uh, but we would have this base theology to understand what we're about to talk about in verses 3 through 5. And, and so that's why we can't be black box Christians, okay? A black box is, is something that no one has any visibility into what's happening on the inside. It's black, right? Something goes in one side, comes out the other side, and uh, poof, magic, right? It's, it just happened. And, and that's how non-Christians view this relationship we have with God, uh, whether they believe it or not. They just don't have this understanding. They're like, well, yeah, I guess you did something, right? Something happened, that you have justification by faith, the hope in his glory, but they really don't understand what's going on here. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation was the first step. That's, that's its own thing. We've talked about how great that was by faith in Jesus. But no, this, this is the rest of the process of how we continue to build our relationship with God. 
And that's how we are able to have more and more faith and hope in his glory, right? So to grow in our relationship with God, we cannot be these black box Christians who just say, ah, yeah, it's something, you know, I'm I'm saved by Jesus, that's fine. Like, you're not going to grow your relationship with God very much if you continue to just be ignorant of this whole process and understanding. To really grow in your faith with God, we need to understand this. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, because as we're going to talk about, it's not meant to be. (laughs) Now, this bridge, I've heard it called a couple different things, you know, so I may borrow from some uh, pastors who, you know, I think it's a cool phrase, whatever, I'm going to call it the theology of pain, or maybe the theology of suffering, as some might have called it. Now, you may have your own name for it, but... I kind of like that. So let's talk about the theology of pain here. And that starts in verse 3. And now Paul starts off by saying, not only that. So he's saying, hey, we've talked about this summary so far about how you gain salvation. It's going to, and the whole process leads to this wonderful rejoicing in the hope and glory and grace of God. And that's wonderful. That's salvation 101. We're going to go a little bit deeper. So not only that, there's more to it than that. And he doesn't take long. He goes, he goes right into it uh, and, and kind of drops one of the hardest things we may have to, to, to wrestle with and say, rejoice in your suffering. Oh, okay, that, that took a left turn here. Um, so let's start with the, the easy part first here, rejoicing. That, that should be pretty easy. We, we all know how to rejoice, right? Uh, we, we gladly accept it. We can sing praises about it. It, it brings us joy, right? Uh, need, I don't need to go on about that. Everyone knows what rejoicing can be like. It, and don't, it's not trying to trick you here. It's not like some sort of secret biblical code of rejoicing in your suffering. You know? No, it's just rejoicing. Be happy about it, okay? <laughs> okay, so here's, here's the harder part then, suffering, right? This is what we talked about, the good or what we perceive as the good and the bad. How do we connect that? So suffering. Uh, you, you can start to talk about that. It's just bad times, right? I, I think that's too generic. And, and I think, like I said, if we want to really have a good understanding about this, part of that understanding is, like, what, what is our suffering and everything? And, and it's not a trick question here, but by saying it out loud and trying to dive a little bit deeper into it, I think we've under, we'll understand it a little bit better. So what kinds of suffering are there? Like, how do you classify a suffering? Like I said, there's... We could probably be here all day. We're really good about complaining about stuff. So we could like write the longest list ever about what our sufferings are. And there's a whole big spectrum too, right? Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit too. But like there's minor stuff, you know, like, you know, oh, what was me? You know, don't cry over spilt milk. And then there's also the other stuff that are like the worst things in life that you can possibly think of. Okay? So there's a spectrum there. So I'm going to propose one way that we can classify the sufferings here. And, and I think that this better understanding will help us apply that to the process here in verses three through five. Now, and again, this is just one way to look at the suffering. There may be many different ways that you have to classify that. So I, I'm gonna propose four descriptors of suffering here. I should have made slides. I should have put it on slides. Make that a note. Yeah, make that a note. That's right, that's right. Okay, there is, first of all, the reason for your suffering. The secondly, 
there's the cause of your suffering. Thirdly, there's the role that you play in your suffering. And fourthly, there's the area affected by that suffering. So let's go through those four things. The reason, I think it's either just, it's one of two things. We either deserved that suffering, because like I said, we're sinful, we deserve the wrath of God, we, we're under that judgment, or we were innocent. We, we didn't actually do anything wrong, but somehow we were still affected by that suffering. Then there's the cause of the suffering. Now, sometimes sufferings can just be natural. There, nobody did or didn't do anything, and, and suffering just happened, right? It was, un, you know, natural disasters, disease, anything that's outside of our living being's control. Then there's intentional suffering. Someone's specific actions were meant to cause suffering to someone else. And then there's, uh, well, so an example of intentional suffering, right? Could, there's lots of them, first of all. But it could be bullying, right? If I bully you, then that was a very intentional that I'm trying to cause you suffering. But it could be intentional like training. Some training can be suffering, right? Or have effects of suffering. Um, but we necessarily wouldn't categorize that as bad. Okay, but then there can also be unintentional suffering. Someone's actions cause suffering, however, they weren't intended to cause suffering. Uh, car crash accidents, right? Nobody gets into a car intending to, well, not, maybe not nobody. Most people don't get into a car intending to cause suffering. Um, but really, like any accidental death would be an example of that. Nobody, nobody usually intends to do that kind of stuff. Okay, then, then maybe the, the third one here that you, when I said it, you may have thought, like, oh, what's he going to say there? The role that you play in your suffering. Now, to be simple about it, and when we're talking about suffering, there's only two roles that a human being can play in that. They are either the giver of suffering or they are the receiver of suffering. Now, if you are suffering, you are obviously always a receiver. <laughs> that, that's easy to understand. However, you actually may be the giver of your own suffering in some cases. Now, that can be good and it can be bad, or what we perceive to be good and bad. Um, like, for example, self-mutilation, bad form of self-causing of suffering. Self-discipline, training, good form of self-giving of suffering, right? Okay, now for the long list. The, the big long list that everyone likes to know a lot about, the affected area of suffering, right? Now, again, like I said, we can make a really long list of all these things that, like, uh, I've, I've had suffering in so many different ways of life, and, and those are totally valid, right? So I'm going to paint some broad strokes here and categorize them in four categories uh, that maybe, maybe you've heard these kind of four categories before. They are the physical kinds of suffering, emotional kinds of suffering, mental kinds of suffering, and spiritual kinds of suffering. It's physical. We can all kind of understand that. Something causes you pain and you don't like it, that would be physical suffering. Illness, fatigue, anything that else affects your body, right? Emotional suffering, we probably also can easily relate to this. If you've ever felt grief before, if you've ever felt loneliness before, uh, depression, really any kind of sadness, right, can be categorized as emotional suffering. Even if someone else is suffering 
and you have empathetic suffering for them. That can also be uh, so. But um, an example connection here as we ca connect different categories, empathetic suffering would also be uh, non-deserved suffering. Like even though you're suffering along with somebody, you may not have done anything wrong, and so that's not deserved suffering, uh, but you're still going through it nonetheless. So mental suffering may be a little bit harder to grasp, but really what I, what I came to the conclusion of here is that mental suffering could be anything that is a deprived desire of yourself. Something that your mind has said, I want slash need that thing, event, whatever it is, and I didn't get it. Therefore, I need that. Now, what, what we may better relate is that those mental sufferings manifest themselves in other different ways, emotional sufferings or uh, anything else. And so we may see the effects of mental suffering even if um, it started with what we were thinking. Now, the spiritual suffering. It may be, not maybe the one that we always think about, but one that manifests itself in different ways more often than we probably realize. We probably suffer more from spiritual suffering than we think we do. And that's because I think spiritual suffering, at least one example of it, is, is mostly a homesickness, but the godly kind. The part where you, you've been separated from God, either intentionally or unintentionally, and, and you just have this longing for something comfortable. You, you desire to be around God, and you haven't been lately. And, and I think that can be a spiritual kind of suffering. You want that comfort of the familiarity of God's relationship, and you haven't had it recently. And usually, that kind of suffering would manifest itself also in many different other categories. So you may start to feel uh, more emotional suffering and more mental suffering, maybe even physical suffering, but that's more extreme. Okay, so I know that was a long thing, but I think we can all kind of relate that there's a lot about suffering that can go very deep. And I think trying to understand and wrap your mind about what that sphere of suffering can look like can help us then apply the process of building our relationship with God through suffering. We can now start to understand how those kinds of suffering can piece themselves together. Okay, so we all know what it is to rejoice and we all know what it is to suffering, but like I said, the big question at the beginning is how do we bridge those two together? What's, what's the bridge here, right? And we can only understand what that bridge is by using a biblical lens. It's, it's like one of those uh, decoder rings, you know, on the back of cereal boxes. <laughs> you can only understand what the message is in the cereal if you have the key, you know? And, and that's in the Bible. God's telling us what it is here in verses 3 through 5. Uh, but we have to look at it biblically and godly for us to really understand it. Because otherwise, you're looking at it like a non-Christian, and you think it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it wouldn't if you're looking at it through the long, wrong lens. So we need to put that biblical lens on this morning. And, and that's how we're going to answer that question. Now, the answer to the question, I know I'm like building up to this, you know, and everything, but it's kind of intentional. The way we answer this question is actually by getting to the end. We have to go through this process. We have to understand what he's talking about here in verses 3 through 5 to really understand it so that then we can go through the process. Okay, so we've talked about suffering 
we're sorry, rejoicing in our sufferings. That's the first part of verse 3. Now, the second part of verse 3, let's continue through this process to answer the question that we all want to know about. Suffering produces endurance. Okay, so we've talked about suffering. What, what's endurance? I, I like to think about this as a faucet in your kitchen. If you turn on the handle, water starts to come out. If you turn on the suffering in your life, endurance starts to pour out, right? That's, that's part of the input-output process here that we're talking about. Literally, perseverance cannot happen without some form of suffering. Because if you're not suffering, then there's nothing to endure. It, like, you have to go through the suffering to get to the endurance. The first time that we've all had to study for like one of those really hard tests, you know, like when you're going through first grade, it's, it's pretty easy, right? But like, let's say uh, you hit uh, fifth grade history class, and then it's like, oh my gosh, I gotta study for this, you know, whatever. And then it's like really hard. You, you, it's your first time you're doing it. It's really hard. But then after you've gotten to your senior year, and you're like, okay, it's still hard, but it, I, know, I know how to study now. Like I've studied for hundreds of tests up to this point. So the more you do something, the more you can get used to it. Right? And that's the same thing here with suffering. The more you do it, the more you can endure it. And, and that, what God's trying to tell us here is he knows the best way to get, to, to get this endurance, and that's through the suffering. That's why Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. And, and so don't be influenced by the world into thinking that you have to carry this mountain of suffering to get to endurance on your own shoulders. No, God is there to give you strength through this process. He's not like sending you in the deep end and being like, hope you can figure this out. No, no, he's telling us here, and he, he shows us that he's going to be there uh, to get us through it and give us that strength. He's the one who provides you that strength, but you have to choose to use it. So many people, when they go through suffering, are, are and, and even myself, I do this all the time too. I just, you know, sometimes you just want to pray, God, please take it away. Please take away whatever this, this horrible thing that's happening in your life because I don't know how much more I can take. I, I don't want to go through it anymore. And, and I mean, like, if you guys really think about that in, in the rest of your, in, in your life, it, I mean, it can bring tears to your eyes, remembering those hard things you've had to go through. However, next, think about what would happen if that always happened. If every time you ask God, to take away that bad thing, what would you be left with? And I can tell you, you would be left with no endurance. You would be left with nothing. You would be left exactly where you started before that suffering started, and that is, a, a, for lack of a better term, a baby Christian. You, you would not have built any endurance, any trust, any relationship with God through that suffering. We need to trust in God when we are going through practicing this endurance in our suffering. Like, do you think Moses would have been ready to lead the Israelites through that desert for 40 years if he didn't first have to stand up to Pharaoh? God knows how much you can endure. He even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the last part on this uh, second half of verse 3. What happens if you start to experience suffering and you're not a Christian? 
right? I, maybe at some point in your life you can remember a time when you've gone through that. And what you're left with is something that's not the godly outcome of this suffering. Maybe that's depression. Maybe that's rejection. Maybe it's some sort of other emotional or mental, certainly spiritual suffering. And from a worldly view, the only way out of that suffering is to remove it. Uh, but really, when, as we think about this, that's a short-term gain and a long-term loss. What we're seeing here is that with this godly biblical lens that we see this passage, although this suffering is painful, it is not harmful. It is a short-term gain when you think about the rejoicing through it and a long-term gain. Okay, next up. Verse number four. We go on to the next step in this process. Endurance produces character. Okay, so we've talked about endurance. Now on to character. What is, what is this godly character? For me, in, in my um, still learning much stage of my Christian career here, I never really gave too much deep thought into character until really trying to dig through this one and just saying that, like, it's a good thing to have. It's a good attribute to have. Character. But, like, think about, like, what, what is it really trying to describe here? And a good definition I came across while researching for this is that character, in the biblical sense, is consistent godly morals exercised in your life. Now, it starts from ideals, but don't get the two confused. Ideals is what you start with, being like, today I want to be a good person. Great, that, that, go, go for it. You know, that's a good ideal to start with, but it is not character until you've endured that. For example, um, can I be a good dad after three months of childcare? Maybe, but we don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think about it. You really can only make that judgment. Like, wait till she's 18 and then come back and be like, was he a good dad? Maybe yet. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, so there, what about a husband? Can, can someone be a good husband on their honeymoon? No. Not yet, at least. So, so any comment, like, I appreciate all the comments that we've had about, like, oh, you guys are such good parents and everything like that. It's like, oh, no, let's clarify here. I have the potential to be a good parent, okay? Do not put it past me to still mess this thing up, okay? <laughs> Character takes time to build. That's why it comes after endurance here. Or some Trump's translations use perseverance. You have to go through it to build character. Character just doesn't happen overnight. Um, you need to stick with it, okay? And now, when you think about that, like, say, like, don't be a quitter. Don't be a, um, oh, did I put it here? No, I didn't put it there. Oh, yeah, 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 here it is. It has to come after endurance. If you're one of those hoppers that keeps just, like, hip-hopping around the different, you know, fads or trends or whatever, you have no endurance in any one of those areas because you haven't been there long enough to actually gain it. So you don't have any good character through that. Uh, quitters don't get this either. If you've quit at something like right after starting it, 
then guess what? You, don't, you, you have that little endurance. If I was an athlete and I was like, I want to go train to run a marathon, uh, I want to get more endurance for my running and everything, and I go out and I run 100 yards once, <laughs> I have that much endurance. <laughs> okay? I have that little endurance, which is not really much. right? When we talk about endurance, we, we, we want a significant amount of endurance. Now, I'm not talking about like um, things that are outside of your control. You know, lots of people have job situations where they, they do need to hop around. Maybe living situations, relationship stuff. Th those things can happen. But I'm talking about things that are a trend in your life. You know, if, if someone, uh, I'm, I'm not a hiring manager, but I've heard this said from other hiring managers. And that you want to look closely at anybody who's had like six jobs in the last three months. Okay, because maybe just in the back of your head that says a flag of like, was it actually a problem with the six other jobs? Or maybe the common denominator uh, in this whole situation may be you. Okay, and, and so you really got to ask yourself that. And that's only something you would know. Anybody outside of your situation wouldn't really understand that, but that may be a hard question you need to ask yourself, is am I actually the hopper or quitter here in this situation? And God says, I want you to have more endurance, so maybe stick it out. Now, this is not an uh, excuse to go to the casino and say, I just stuck with it, and somehow I lost all my money, but at least I stuck with it. Hey, that's like... Don't abuse what I'm saying here, please. <laughs> um, you got you to gotta stick with it to get the endurance out of it. Okay, now on to the next step. The second half of verse 4 says, character produces hope. So we've talked a little bit about what that character is. But this hope, why... I, I would think that, well, I thought at least, that this was maybe a little more hard to understand. Like, this is the harder of the two things to understand than the first couple steps we've talked about. And we, we have to really look at what this hope is to, to first understand how this connection is made. Hope here, I think, is an awareness of the eternal view of life. It's, it's like gaining the heavenly mind, putting on this biblical lens that, so that you can see the hope of what's coming, right? You can, can understand the glory of God because you've, you've seen it happen in this whole process. So it's, it's the long-term game, guys. It's the marathon. It is not, you can't do this as a short-term because this is after endurance again. This, this hope is only something that comes after the long game. And it's also something that you will personally experience because this kind of hope changes everything you do in your life. It affects every little crevice of your life. Um, and, and if it's not yet, that means it's still maturing, right? And it's not like the modern day hope. No, no, no. The modern day hope is like, oh man, I hope it's good weather this weekend. I hope, I hope there's still seats left at the movie theater. No, this hope in the biblical sense is certainty in God's promises. It is, it is the hope of things not yet seen, but we are certain is gonna happen. Like, man, I am sure hopeful the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm really certain on that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so why, why do we get hope from character? 
Through this whole process, if we have good character, godly, consistent morals in our life, we are building a trust with God. And when we build a relationship in that trust through these, what we perceive as bad times in our life, right, it shows how much better God is, right? And, and we're building that relationship that says, yes, God, I trust you to be sovereign even over my suffering, right? And, and that's the way we're going to learn it, that his ways are good and true. And Jesus told us even, like, don't lay up treasures on earth. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For there your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you can't obtain this hope if you set your mind on earthly things. You have to have a good foundation of biblical theology and look at life through a biblical godly lens. Now, if you are not a Christian and you've made it thus far in this whole process of suffering, somehow your suffering didn't produce depression and stuff. Maybe you've uh, get your, uh, you know, you've just like, I'm gonna get through it, and I've endured it, and uh, I've had worldly character develop through this because you're a non-Christian. Then, what are you left with now? You certainly cannot have hope in God. Otherwise, you would have started this whole process with faith in Jesus. So what then are you left with? Well, the conclusion then would mean that you think everything's ultimately meaningless in life because you have no long game. You have no heavenly, mindly awareness that would give you this hope in God. And so therefore, you may come to the conclusion that it's just you against the world and you're going to grit your teeth until the day you die and you, get, and you just get through it. Yeah, I mean, some, I've seen some people do that, um, but it seems pretty dismal to me, to be honest. And I, for sure, would still like to have this hope in God. Because, guess what? That's where the rejoicing comes from. Okay, so throughout all this, this whole process, um, we've, I've kind of hinted at it before, but it's proportional. The output, output is proportional to the input. The amount of suffering you put in or have to go through, maybe you didn't cause it yourself, but the amount of suffering that's in your life will be directly proportional to how much endurance, character, and hope you have in the glory uh, and grace of God. And so thinking about that, why then, in verse 5, does Paul say, hope does not put us to shame? Well, yeah, why? Well, the verse says it right there, because the love of God is then poured out into our hearts. Answer. I, I know that may not be the clear answer you were looking for, so let me try to dig a little bit deeper into it. Now, that kind of verse, the love of God is poured out into our hearts, that's like a, aw, that's really nice of God to do that. Like someone should put a heart emoji on that verse. Um, but this really is a grand expression of love, considering the fact that we were so undeserving of it. So like in, in 1 John chapter 3, we see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So the way that God poured into our hearts, uh, that love that he's poured into our hearts, is like the down payment. It's the seal that says, yes, look, I'm working in you a better relationship and you are becoming a better Christian. That's my promise that I'm showing you that I'm going to finish this thing. I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to fulfill all my promises and I'll bring you into my family and into my glory and into my grace so you can stand in that 
And, and that's the eternal view. That's the eternal life we um, are, are all hopeful for. And, and that shows us, that shows that that kind of way we live our life shows to other people, right? Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. That's how like, God can use us as a witness there. So, so the Holy Spirit pouring into our life is a proof that God's going to do these things and make his promise, make the long-term game. That doesn't mean that until that long-term game fulfills itself, we still may face the mockers in this world, right? But again, that is the justification by faith into his grace and glory. Okay, so to summarize this whole process, verses 3 through 5, we start with rejoicing in our suffering. And a key word here is that Paul says knowing, right? This whole thing that I've said before, we have to understand this process. We really have to know it. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And then character produces hope. And that hope doesn't put us to shame because God has, that's his proof. That's his seal uh, that, um, that, that we will be brought into God's glory in the end. And so we rejoice in it because we know it's worth it. We know the end. We now know the whole process and that's why we can rejoice in it. Amen. And really, that's the best way to go through it. God knows that you need to go through this process to build a better relationship with him. So the best way to do it is to be joyful through it because you know the end goal and then that it's good. My favorite analogy to use for this kind of stuff is diamonds all the time, right? Do you know what kind of things have to happen, the conditions diamonds have to go through to be formed? Right? If you want to be a diamond in Christ, you have to go through the harshest conditions. That's 2,000 plus degrees Fahrenheit, 100 miles underground to get all that pressure of 724,000 pounds per square inch. Uh, I know may, you may not know exactly what that means, but outside right now it's only 72 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> and if, if you hold your arm out right now, a little square inch about that big, is 14.7 pounds per square inch just from the air pressure around us as opposed to 724,000 pounds per square inch. Okay, it's a lot of harsh conditions and pressure. And if you want to be a diamond Christian, that's the kind of suffering you're going to have to go through. Paul states it later in Romans 8, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, and from an outside perspective, people think this is a weird way to live. Like, why are you happy when all of these bad things are happening to you? But you remember that they're not looking at it with a godly lens. They're not looking at it with a biblical lens. You are primarily first the citizen of heaven and God's family. So use the tool that God gave you and go back to this. And, and so you may think that, you know, well, hold on. It's easy to discuss it on a Sunday morning when we're all, you know, nice and comfortable in this room. Uh, nothing really bad is too bad is happening to us right now. It's different whenever I'm in the thick of it, right? And you're right, it is different because it's meant to be different. You have to change as you go through this process. But when things get hard, my best recommendation is to go back to this verse. Go back to the foundation that we've laid this morning to say, yes, I, can, I, I now know that I can go through the suffering with maybe at first a little bit of rejoicing because it, it's not an overnight thing. You need to go through it to produce that endurance and character and hope. 
And, and if you can go through it with that, then you know that the knowledge has made it from your head to your heart. Right? That's, that's how you know you're maturing is whenever you can start doing this process. But it takes time and it takes work to do it. So, so in conclusion here, I, I'm sure that there are still so many other questions about like, well, what if this? What if that? What if that? And I can't answer all those for you. Maybe some of them, but probably not most of them. Maybe Michael can. But use this foundation to go forth and find out those answers, right? Again, put on this theology of pain so that you can use the justification by faith into his glory and grace. Use that to go out and find how this works out in your life, okay? I mean, look back at Genesis and and the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery, blackmailed into prison, and forgotten there for 13 years, (laughs) before he then became the savior of Egypt. So you, that, you know, there are, use the key. It's, it's in here. And so when you're going through those hard times, go back here and read verses three through five um, and remember that. Or like Michael's gonna do, go back to the notes he's taking during this whole sermon and look at those. <laughs> and, and now again, all of this can go out the door when it starts happening to you. I know it because it's happened to me. When, oh no, something bad starts happening, sometimes you may feel like you want to be one of Job's friends and say, curse God and die. (laughs) But then you're not going to grow in your relationship with Christ. And, And so maybe to start this, you may have to hit the faith button and say, God, I don't know how this process works. I know how the process is supposed to work, but I can only get it through with your strength and faith faith in your strength. That's the only way I'm going to get through it. It's temporary pain for eternal gain. And that's true because it rhymes. Okay? Just saying. (laughs) Okay, so don't forget the big picture here. We've talked about the whole salvation process. It's so wonderful. And yes, there may be some painful times in there, but it is not harmful to you. It is, we we know that it's worth it in the end. Okay? And you can rejoice in that fact as you go forth from this week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, nobody said that this Christian life was going to be easy. And in fact, there's so many things in this life that aren't easy. And it's hard to really understand that that's your intention for it, God. You you want the best for us, God. And we need to trust that you want the best for us. And you know that the best is only produced through the harshest conditions. So God, it may not be the thing that we want, right? It may not be the thing that we think we want because it's not not going to be a a pain-free process. But God, let us practice endurance. Let us practice that patience. Let us build character. Let us gain more hope in your glory, God, knowing that it's not going to be easy, that it, it may be the hardest thing we have to do in life. But we can rejoice in it because we know it's worth it, God. And I thank you so much for always being there, always being our God, for inviting us into that family, into your glory, God, and just giving us the greatest gift that your son Jesus is. I pray that we can all understand that a little bit more and that we can all help each other understand that too. It's a community effort. 
And I pray that we can just continue to work that out and get better at it so that we can all become better Christians so that eventually that then turns into us building up your kingdom, God. I pray all these things in your name this morning. Amen.